White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 414. Who are you? Matthew Gideon, captain, attached to the Earth Alliance starship Excalibur. What do you want? To find a cure to the Drock Plague before it wipes out all life on Earth. Where are you going? Anywhere I have to. Who do you serve and who do you trust? Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I've been back a couple of weeks now from the great, great Dragon Con 2019, and I recorded most of the panels I was involved with this year, and there was some really good stuff to share with you, and so I want to go ahead and start putting things out now. And so... This first installment is one that I know a lot of Babylon 5 fans have been looking forward to. Certainly for 20 years, I was waiting for the chance to talk about Crusade at DragonCon. And we got to do it, and I was joined on the panel by Peter David, the great writer who actually wrote an episode or two of Crusade, by Nathan Laws, and by John Hudgens, who famously did the Babylon 5 music videos. And so here's the hour that we spent talking about Crusade. Oh, oh, my my friend. Oh, what are we talking about? Oh, oh crusade. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about what the hell happened. We're talking about who do you yeah. serve and who do you trust. Yeah, I was going to say. And who that's the first thing I was going to ask. Yeah, first thing I was going to ask. Well, it's it's by my clock. It is two thirty. So I think we should get going. And and Karen. Fine. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> that was a short panel. See you at midnight. I wait 20 years and Peter gets up and leaves at the beginning. That's what I need, right? So uh, I have been delegated to moderate for us. Oh, I thought John was. Okay. I'm sorry, what? I said I've been delegated by Karen to moderate for us. That's fine. He he prepared. I actually did. Um, So let's see. I won't do any of my Rick Dalton uh, Cliff Booth jokes since I have to actually be serious and moderate here. Um, but I do uh, have to point. All right, this is the Crusade panel from Babylon Five Universe. I'm so excited! I've waited 20 years to talk about Crusade, but it's so long. I actually had a Galen costume in what 2001, I think we said. Yeah, the hottest thing I've ever worn. Oh my God, that thing was hot. Oh, black in the middle of the summer in DragonCon. Oh, geez. And I mean, anyway. Um, I have to remind everybody to make sure when this panel is over, or you can just go ahead and give us five stars now because you know it's going to be good, but rate this panel on the app because that goes a long way and it helps this track, it helps this panel, it helps us, it helps everything. helps you. I don't know. It may help the needy. I don't know, but give it five stars. And if you don't like this panel, give it five sarcastic stars to teach us right, okay? Um, and an angel gets a switch. That's right. Everything. It's, it's incredible. Uh, I know that Peter is over in Artist Alley, right? You got a place over there right this year? Oh, oh it's fireflies broken out in the middle of Crusade. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I'm at table six. Yes, I'm at table 108. 108. It's great. You, you walk in, I'm immediately on the left. I'm across from the men's room, which when you're a 62-year-old Jewish guy, that's great. <laughs> 108 is great. Yeah. 633 is something cool, too, that doesn't rhyme with three. But 633 is my table. That's where I have all my stuff. Although I won't be there the rest of the day because it's DragonCon busy. Um, 
and uh, we got to introduce ourselves. But first, who do you serve and who, whom, do you trust? We'll find out tonight. Um, let us uh, introduce ourselves, starting with our biggest celebrity here. Does anyone here not know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> who is that man? I am. My name is yeah, Peter oh. David. I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote an episode of Crusade. Mm-hmm. I also wrote two episodes of Babylon 5 mm-hmm. and a servant of Babylon 5 novels. And you're awesome. And those are great. I'm Van Allen Plexico. I'm author of 18 novels of superheroes and science fiction and other things that are at my table. Uh, I'm the host of the White Rocket podcast, where we talk about things like this all the time. And um, I was the I was the uh, organizer and uh, host of the Babylon Five LARP for two or three. Don, Don and I were trying to figure that out. Two or three years back around 1999, 2000, 2001. And so I've been doing Babylon Five stuff here uh, as long as John has, I guess, and um, which is forever. And uh, and I just love it. And I love Crusade. And I want to talk about it. Okay, uh, my name is John Hudgens. I'm a filmmaker and animator. I'm mostly known for the uh, work I've done on Star Wars and Babylon 5. I did the official Babylon 5 music videos with Joe Straczynski back in the show. I did the piece that he used to sell the show to TNT with, which in 1998 was a good thing. Um, and um, I, I, I actually did not work with anything on, with Joe on Crusade other than him giving me this hat. Uh, but uh, like I said, I worked uh, behind the scenes. What's through- the book? This is uh, one, one of the Joe's self-published books, Crusade. What the hell happened? <laughs> volume one, volume the one. early he, years. He's never. He hasn't done volume two because he ended up saving a lot of that for um, uh, what's in his autobiography. Um, but but yeah, that's that's basically yeah. me. I worked with Joe uh, doing publicity materials for Babylon Five back in the day, and that ended up leading to me working on various Star Wars projects. I make documentaries these days. You can look me up at zteamproductions.com. Uh, both my documentaries are so far are on Amazon Prime. You can watch, you can stream them well, for free, or you can buy the DVDs, which will get me a little bit more money. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm Nathan Laws. I'm the host of the 42 Cast, which is your ultimate answer to fandom geekiness and everything. Uh, we just talk about anything geeky in all media, and the reason I'm on this podcast is because I. Uh, fell in love with Babylon 5 from the first moment that I saw it. It instantly replaced everything but Doctor Who uh, as far as my estimation of television and I loved Crusade and wish that it continued. There you go. And we've got a lot to cover for only a 13 episode show plus various unproduced scripts and other oddities. Well, it's also a murder mystery in some way. Because, mm-hmm. uh, no, no, seriously. I mean, Bat- uh, Crusade was murder before it ever got on the air. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was network interference that killed the show. It was the uniforms. That's one, yeah, that, I have another. <laughs> no, that, that's a symptom. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. One of the things that I have to note is that people think, oh, you know, it, it could have survived if the ratings had been better. No, no. <laughs> no, I mean, Crusade was canceled before it ever got on the air. Exactly. Wow. It was aborted, literally. It never got a chance. Now, the short version is, you know, um, TNT, you know, rescued Babylon 5. They, they commissioned the fifth season, but, you know, Joe had always said all along, the show is a five-year series. It ends at five years. Um, so they asked him for a sequel. Uh, you know, what can you do for a sequel to Babylon 5? But, you know, he, he mentioned, there's some stories in here where he mentions right at the front, was like, they, they commissioned a sequel, to, a sequel to Babylon 5, but they didn't want any Babylon 5 in it. Um, 
because they could promote it as something new, but they wanted to use something old to leverage the new because people who would watch the old show would watch the new show even though there was nothing old in the new. And Meanwhile, there were cans they canceled Babylon 5. Right. Well, they didn't cancel it because, you know, Joe was going to end it at five. Yeah, he wasn't going to do more than but, that. No, they, they, I was just reading the introduction, mm-hmm. and he basically said that they had can't seize, that they had said season four. Oh right, yeah. The end. Oh right, right. right. Season four, yeah. And yet, season four was the end. But they said we want a sequel to Babylon Five because there's a market for it. And Joe said, if there's a market for it, why don't we just do a fifth season of Babylon Five? Mm-hmm. Okay, but and then but it's essentially you know yeah. TNT eventually green, you know they greenlit a fifth season which was great, and then they you know commissioned <clears throat> a new series. Um, now, if you commission a show from the creator of Babylon 5 that is a sequel to Babylon 5, he's going to deliver you a show which is like Babylon 5. Shocking. <laughs> TNT basically wanted Baywatch meets TNA and wrestlers in space. And after they got a couple of episodes back, they weren't getting that, and they started sending Joe notes and notes, oh, and, that, notes. And, and we know how that goes. When Joe starts getting notes... And he eventually just put his foot down and said, "I'm not doing this." And you know, and that was after the, that was after they'd done all the change of the costumes and everything. I was say, they do make he does make one effort to change oh, things, he, right? Yeah, he tried to do some things, but you know, it was dead before it ever went on the air because it, they had already shut down production. It's it's why there's no real definitive run order of it. I mean, there's Joe's preferred order, or there's the order it was aired, or whatever. But neither one of them actually works, and they all contradict each other because they rearrange, they reshuffle the episodes while they were producing them, and so things are referenced as having already happened early that don't happen until later. Like, like if, you know, when Gideon meets Lockley, they meet like three different times for the first time because it's always, you know, this was supposed to happen first. Well, no, they already met, so but it's too late. So, yeah. Um, what I want to do to start things out is kind of go down the row here and give your overall opinion. I want to get up front first the verdict on the show itself as a show and as a and as it's and as a part of Babylon Five, right? You know, like a thumbs up, thumbs down, and why? Just in general, and then we'll get into more specifics and episodes and all that. So, Peter, let's start with you and just what is your kind of you know the post mortem on this thing. Okay, you have to understand it was 20 years ago, and I barely remember it. <laughs> I mean, I remember my involvement with it. I remember enjoying the show when it was on the air. I remember being extremely bummed out that the series was, as you said, canceled before it ever went on the air. I, th- I thought that the fact they kept jumping around the times that the damn thing was on. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were a couple of times where, where it was on at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, a new episode, 2 o'clock in the morning. Who the hell is watching TV at 2 o'clock in the freaking morning? Mm-hmm. And this was before DVRs. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was just... They had VHRs. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, VCRs. Video home recorders. Oh, video... Also- I've never heard that. I've heard... <laughs> I've heard video cassette recorders. I've never heard video home recorders. Yeah. But, but it was just... Oh, yeah, and then it would start at 2 o'clock, except actually it would start 10 minutes after 2 or something like mm-hmm. that, you know. 
So you could miss the last 10 minutes. And there was like an NBA playoff in the middle yes. of it, too, that messed it up. Yeah, exactly. I so guess a lot of it also depended on your market. Uh, yeah. In, in Nashville, we actually kept it on at prime time. The, enti- the entire run of Battle on 5, it was on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. right after the X-Files. I yeah, wow. <laughs> at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I got to see the phone sex ads every time I uh, Yeah. And I wasn't really interested in those girls. Yeah, but anyway, Peter, you were saying? <laughs> so... I liked it as much as I could, considering its insane run times, the fact that it was out of order and didn't make a ton of sense. Fortunately enough, Joe sent me scripts of it, so I was actually able to read the scripts ahead of time in the correct order, so I actually knew what was going to be happening. But, you know, and, and I thought it was very well acted, very well directed. It, but it just got, it, it never got any promotion. The times were all over the place. I mean, not they, they just made no effort whatsoever to try and get anyone to watch this show. Which ended up not mattering anyway because they canceled it before it even aired anyway. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's at least why it made if, no effort. At least, if the, at least if the ratings had been really, really good, they might have said, let's reconsider. No, I, I think TNT yeah. had already. They, it was they were burning it off because you know they had they had a legal commitment to run it off. That's why it was advertised. Mm. It was advertised as a thirteen episode Mini-series. limited Mini-series. limited series That's about, about renegade rangers. And I'm like, I don't think I ever saw a single renegade ranger in the whole show. What the heck Not was that? that? I no, that, that actually comes from one of his original pitches uh, for the show was to be about the rangers. And TNT said, Well, the rangers are too t- the rangers are tied in with Babylon Five. We don't want something tied in with Babylon 5 and your Babylon 5 spinoff. Yeah, so... Right. Yeah, that, well, that makes a whole lot so, of so, so positive thoughts, just unfortunate or what? Kind of final verdict. Oh, I, I, th- I thought it was a great series that got completely screwed over by TNT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would really have loved... To, I mean, Joe had... I mean, Joe told me, he, you know, he had an overall plan that, I mean, mm-hmm. he was actually going to resolve... Mm-hmm. the main storyline by the end of the first season. Mm-hmm. He had other ideas that he wanted to uh, to send it off in, which never came to fruition. Yeah. And I talked to him in Charlotte a few years ago, and I asked him, are you ever going to do a comic or books? You're going to get Peter to do it, because that would be who I you know, would want. Yeah. Uh, somebody to do something that at least finishes this story, and he said no. He said that was done for television, and it's done, and it's over, and it's never gonna. I'm never gonna finish it. Well, part of that also is like you know, Warner Brothers owns right. Babylon Five and everything in you know, a lock, stock, and barrel, and they show no interest in doing no. anything with it. They don't want to no. license it for merchandise or, pro- or nothing. They, you know, because hell, I've been, I've been, you know, pushing Funko to license Babylon Five forever. Oh and God, they, yes. And they keep saying Warner tells us that the license is not available. Oh my you God, know. I was wondering why there's no pops for Babylon Five. I mean, a little. They're for great. everything, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I'd love a costume. Oh, good. <laughs> Gosh. The people in charge of Big Finish would be interested in Babylon 5 audio dramas if Warner... So what is Warner's but, problem? Well, in, in that case, I, I'm, a, I'm, of a, I'm of two minds of that. Some of those are great, but Babylon 5 is one of those things that... I want Joe's story. I I don't want someone else. I mean, other than Peter. I mean, but... Yeah. Uh, well, right. <laughs> no, There's but, you certain know, but, people but that are involved Babylon in it that have the same voice. Very, Structured story. It's like Lord of the Rings. I mean, you know, it's like you know, it's like you know the, the, the restrictions they've got with this new Lord of the Rings series. You know, they you know they cannot violate the canon of Tolkien's. I mean, they they can do stuff inspired by it, but if it contradicts anything Tolkien's canon, the state can nix it. You know, uh, I would want 
I would want Joe's control over anything that Big Finish would do. It's just because he knows his story. He knows the front end and back end of it and where it goes in both directions. And so it would be cool, um, you know, especially since, you know, it, it would be a cool way to do it. But I'm of two minds at that, you know. Right, well, my verdict, I guess, is, and we're doing a little overview, is that the, I think what I liked about it so much, it combined several different ideas from several different types of shows I liked and, and stories so that you, you, you had a kind of a Star Trek vibe. You didn't have in Babylon 5 where it's a ship with a captain and a crew off in unexplored places, so that's kind of, kind of that Star Trek vibe to it. But you had Galen. I'm, Karen told me not to talk too much about Galen. Uh, you, had, you had that guy in black with the hood and the staff, uh, the techno-mage, right, Galen, who... Um, you couldn't talk about Okay, just don't overdo it. Right. not, you know... The whole half of this. Half of this. All right. Don't fanboy on Gary. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Equalizer Jr. in space. Um, yeah, I mean, he was such a great character because he was basically Merlin in space. You know, he even had the cadence of, of, uh, of Nigel, what's the name from uh, Excalibur and everything? Nicole Williamson. Nicole Williamson, yeah. And um, so you had that kind of odd element you wouldn't get in other shows and then you had the Babylon 5 element to it that it's taking place in a, in a universe we already know with bad guys like the Earth government to a degree that we already knew <laughs> I love the fact that Earth is the bad guys in Babylon 5 it's one of the things I love about the show uh, there were so many elements that together interested me and that ship was so cool with the big gun and everything uh, and you had the Drock who were such a great set of villains but they didn't get used enough in Babylon 5 and so they get their own series to be the heavies at least for a while that was cool so there were just so many things about it that I liked um, when you met, when you mentioned the Drock all I can think of is in one of my Babylon 5 novels so you wrote three novels about them yeah. in, w- in one of my Babylon 5 novels Garibaldi gets the drop on a Drock assassin yeah. And he yeah. comes and he bursts out of a closet, closet with a gun, and he says, "What's up, Drock?" <laughs> and, yes, he does. And Steve Saffel, who was my editor, said to me, "Joe will never let us do that joke." I said, "Why not?" I said, "I didn't name them the Drock. He did." I didn't establish that Gareth Boldy loves Warner animated cartoons. There it is. He did. All I did was take two elements that Joe introduced and put them together into a logical punchline. Absolutely. And sure enough, Joe had absolutely no issue with that. Although I can imagine says when he read it, he kind of went, damn, I wish I'd done <laughs> yeah, As a loyal fan and reader back then who read those books as soon as they came off the presses, I have to say when I read that line, I busted out laughing and I said, yeah, totally fits, totally yeah, in character, absolutely. Completely in character. So I give it a huge sure. thumbs up and I would give anything to have more. <laughs> oh, well, and, and this is not just because uh, I've known Peter for years, but one of my favorite moments in the entire show is just, you know, when they finally bring Lockley in and someone asks, you know, if she'd served under John <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I was just like, "Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah." <laughs> um, were you under him? Because you know that was one of the. It was natural. It felt you know it was earned character humor and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, Although my my favorite line from that episode was when she Lockley says to Gary Cole's character, "You know what you are," and he says ruggedly handsome yes yeah. and she says a control freak and he says can I be both <laughs> <laughs> they had some great chemistry yeah. I, in fact I would argue that other than Garibaldi uh, 
Gideon had the best chemistry with Lockley. Lockley was an yeah. interesting character. She didn't work as well as, as Claudia Christian in a lot of cases. She kind yeah. of replaced Claudia Christian, but didn't have the same appeal in a lot of ways. But she did click with, with Gary Cole very well, yeah. and I wanted mm-hmm. more of that. And Again, even though they met like three times over the course of the series because they kept, re- they kept changing <laughs> Well, they around, met but, the first time in my, in my script. Yeah. yeah. And, but then there's an episode later where they, which was supposed to have aired before yours where they are, see each other and they are like meeting. They're like, oh, I'm Captain whatever. No, Joe on. is very specific. He said to me, you know, mm-hmm. when I was writing the script, he says, this is the first time they meet. I went, okay. Yeah, the yeah, problem so is they changed it later. <laughs> That's what. Yeah, th- this show had worse uh, <laughs> uh, episode order problems than Firefly did. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, um, to me, Crusade is a... Oh, yeah, sorry, Heather's just... Uh, let me answer this. I've got to pull up my charger and charge up my phone. Uh, Crusade is a lot of great setup for what could have been a great TV show. It's a lot of potential. There's a lot of great elements. I love some of the characters, not all of them. Um... I would love to have seen at least even just the rest of a season. I, you know, I, I, I think in the way some of it, some of it's stronger than Mifan's first season. But mm-hmm. it's the fact that we don't get the payoff. Um, there's a lot of stuff set up to pay off, and you just don't, you just don't get a serious a, a feel of. There, there wasn't enough to get a feel of where it was going yet. You didn't have a strong episode in there like the uh, what was uh, was coming of shadows that early in the first season, or at least uh, and a sky full of stars was. You know where you get the flashback of right. the line, and you know that oh, there's something bigger going on here. Other than the drop plague, I, did, I never really got that feeling with Crusade. And and as an editor, I don't know if it was because you know the changes behind the scenes, um, and you know either going in a different direction from Chris Franke, but. I, dis- oh, yeah. I despise the opening, um, the opening of the show. Uh, Evan Chin. No, not just Evan Chin. It's just the way it's built. The whole "Who do you serve? Who do you trust?" thing. It's it's it stops. It it stops the show cold. I mean that it's, that's just me. It felt to me like Joe was kind of obsessed with X Files, in, in both in that opening and with that one episode we'll talk about later. I, and and um, and I was gonna, before I get to you, Nathan. The 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 thing that you said that John that just rang a bell there was imagine how people felt that weren't Babylon Five fans or that didn't know what we know about the show getting aborted before it even was half the season was done or just over half the season they watch this thing being told it's a limited series and and then they don't get any kind of an ending at all so not only were they you know disappointed in it to begin with they get to that point and think well this really sucked what kind of ending was that you know the the big finish was dr franklin shows up wow (laughs) you know so cool if you're a Babylon five fan but it doesn't resolve anything all right nathan your your uh, verdict yeah so um you know, thinking back to when I watched it the first time, you know, I remember thinking that it was stronger than Babylon 5's first season. I instantly liked a lot of the characters. I mean, there were no characters that I didn't like. And I feel like Galen and I feel like Max Eilerson Max were two very interesting characters right off the gate. You know, Max is not a kind of character you usually get in a, you know, in a show like this, you know, because mm-hmm. he was... You know, very much a just me first kind of guy. But you could see all the different potentials that you could take that character and, you know, what, what could be done with him. And I think if the show had continued, he would have been like, if, if anyone's familiar with, like, the Buffy Angel stuff, like the Wesley of the series where like by season three season four max might have been like everybody's favorite because i see a lot of potential character growth there 
But um, but yeah, I mean, watching it now though, the thing that strikes me because I, I hadn't seen this when I watched Crusade the first time, it strikes me as Yamato, and you know, like a live action. Yeah. Well, hell, the wave motion gun is oh, right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Like I'm watching it, it's even the plot idea of Yamato is that the Earth is filled with radiation, and they've got to go and find like the cure for humanity that's all going <laughs> to die off. And so I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh wow, that's really cool. There's like a whole other level to this that I hadn't thought about. But yeah, I think it was a good. First season, I think that um, you know that Joe had learned a lot from that, you know, from doing Babylon Five, and I really wish the show had continued because it is very unsatisfying just watching those thirteen, just because you know there's so much more that could be done. You know, one of the remarkable things about it too that I noticed rewatching it a couple of weeks ago was how few episodes some of the main stars are in. Mm-hmm. I mean, just about every episode has Gideon. Um, but other than not the last few though, he's he's yeah. gone like the last three, and a lot of that was budget. I mean, you know, yeah. they, they you know they you know you know it it doesn't cost them as much. You know, people maybe in the cre- opening credits, you know, because it deals and stuff like that, but they don't have Lockley. <laughs> yeah, well, that was because like two later edition, but you know, and star power and stuff like that. But you know, you've got a limited budget, and Babylon Five was produced, and Crusade were both produced on the cheap. I mean, at the time, Star Trek episodes were being produced like like about what one point five, one point seven million per, and Babylon 5 was being produced for around 900000 an episode, and they actually dropped that uh, for the last season in Crusade to like eight hundred and fifty. Um, yeah, you, you see the heavy reliance on CG back in an era when you probably shouldn't have been. Well, um, I do want to uh, get to the audience in just a minute and get their views on some of these too, but... Um, Let's start up here, and if you have any favorite episodes or characters that you want to throw out, and uh, Peter, what do you th- what do you think in terms of what worked best about it? Like, is there an episode? Well, you you have your own. You yeah. Want to talk about that, if you want to talk about that, or, or some other one, or your favorite or characters you thought would be good to write if you didn't get to run. I I love writing Gideon. Okay. I love writing. I see, I can't remember their like I said twenty years ago. I can't remember their names. Uh, the badass female. Dorina, Dorina, I love Dorina. Um, Eilerson seems like one of the, the yeah the archaeologist. He seems like one that would be in yeah. years. Um, and who was the guy? The, was was that Max? The one that Max, you wound the smartass? The, yeah, the, the smartass with yeah. the cat. Yeah, I loved I loved the sequence where I had the two of them dancing. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. I had a yes. lot of fun with that. Um, and I met the actress, and she told me that was her favorite episode, which she <laughs> may have said to any writer of any show. <laughs> but um, I, uh, th- those were the characters that stand out for me the most, and I had the most fun writing. Hmm. I made my list of the five best episodes, and I really thought about it this time as I was watching it. I've watched this whole series all the way through probably five or six times, including when it first aired. But I have the DVDs, and so I busted them out last month and got them out and watched the whole thing, taking notes on every episode, and I felt like, and we'll see what you think about this, I thought the five best episodes now, and by the way, Galen is so great, and yet after the first few episodes, he almost doesn't appear again in maybe one more episode before the end, which shocked me because I'd forgotten how he just kind of disappears, um, and Max isn't in that many either. Uh, Doreen's in a lot, by the way. She seems to be in there more than most. Well, because she was a female, and she they put her in a skimpier, skimpier, and skimpier costume, costume at so TNT's they, request, Yeah, you know, they wanted the... DNA meets Baywatch and wrestling in space. So, yeah. All right. So, my five best, in my opinion, number one, Racing the Night, which was supposed <laughs> to be the first episode originally. Racing the Night, where they're on the, um, they're exploring the abandoned city and Gideon's flying the little fly cycle around. Okay. And it, is that, 
not the one with the drones. Yeah, mm-hmm. the drones come out and it, it, dissect and everybody. Galen sends down his homunculus. Oh dear, something dreadful. <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, number two is the the needs of Earth, and. Now I'm trying to remember why I like that one so much because the name is just blanked out of me what that one is about. I, have to, <laughs> I can't remember now. I have to think about it because it didn't used to be one of my favorites, but watching it this time I thought it was good. Number three, The Memory of War, which is another Galen episode where he fights the other Technomades that's become like a, a nanite plague or something ruling that planet and makes everybody go crazy and fight. And, and Galen loses his staff and Darina comes back muddy with it, just hands it to him and walks away, grouchy looking. I thought that was brilliant. Appearances and Other Deceits, this is the episode that really existed only to, to switch him from the second uniform to the first uniform. If that sounded weird, yes, it does sound weird because they started out filming episodes in the gray, the bellhop uniforms, and it was the one suggestion that, that TNT made that I thought was good was get them out of those gray uniforms, put, put them in black. So the, all the episodes where they're in the black with the red or the blue undershirt were filmed later. And they, and they said something about, but they, they switched it around. I thought this was so funny. Joe switches it around on them and has that, 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 the, that the network, right, the EA comes in and says, oh, these black uniforms are bad. You need these fancy gray ones. When it was actually, they were wearing the gray ones and the network said, you need the black ones. My head's exploding. Okay. And then, but the thing that was cool about that episode was it was the one where the alien would pass from touch to touch to touch. And I thought that was a very clever... The resolution was clever. I really liked that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we can get into that. And then I also like, uh, and I love Peter's, but the other one, just because I'm a Galen fan, is the the Well of of Forever. Hmm. Because it establishes what happened with Galen, why he's bitter, what happened to his, his girlfriend. Oh, no, that's the other one. And um, they're on the well of forever. I still want to know where he got the magic rock that told him where. Because they never said, right? He shows up and says, Matthew, I have a magic rock that will show me where the well of forever is. And so they go, and that's the story. And I'm like, <laughs> where did he get the magic rock? They never told us. Straczynski. So, yeah, it came, it came from Joe. It came from plot. From plot, yeah. Pure distinct All right. plot. So I just want to do my five. You Favorite episodes or characters or whatever? Um, I don't know that I have a favorite. Like I said, I, I tried to rewatch a lot of them before the Dragon Con, but I, I, I just, I'm working on a new documentary, and one of the biggest events for it was last weekend, so I've kind of, kind of swamped. Um, I, I've always liked the one where, you know, Edward Woodward was in it, you know, the, the one where, you know, the dad and the, the long got, road. Yeah, the two of them got to play off each other, uh, just because... I thought it was his dad. Yeah, Edward Woodward, oh, the equal... Yeah, that makes sense. yeah Peter Woodward is the son of the equalizer. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, no, and, and Peter was great. I mean, he was here for Dragon Con. Was yeah, Edward for, Woodward yeah. is the equalizer with all respect to Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Denzel Washington plays a character called the equalizer. Woodward for no reason. The equ- <laughs> yeah, for no reason he was called the equalizer. It's like he has no resemblance to the character yeah. whatsoever. No, but um, I, I like that one a lot. Uh, pretty much, you know, any, any anything with Galen, uh, you know, I enjoyed. Uh, I, I I tried. I, I just didn't have time to to, uh, to. I didn't have time to do my homework. I'm sorry. The dog <laughs> ate it. Uh, um, so. Long and short, that that's that's it. Uh, you know, uh, anything with Galen, but I don't have any specific favorites. I, w- I, I, I do really still enjoy Peters just because the character, I mean, it, it, it had humor. It wasn't dry exposition. I mean, as much as I like, um, what's his name, the one who went on to Lost, Daniel, Daniel Day Kim, mm-hmm. um, I never felt 
I felt his all his all his psychor stuff, all the all the telepath stuff was just so. It felt so shoehorned in there, and it's like I am giving exposition, you know, and it just never felt natural like like yours did, Peter. <laughs> Matthew's job, uh, Matheson's job was By to the go. By the way, for those who don't know offhand which one I wrote, it was called "Ruling from the Tomb." Yeah, it was about the the guy who was convinced that Joan of Arc was talking to him. Oh. Yeah, the conference on Mars. Going, oh, okay, see, they didn't know. The conference yeah, the on Mars. What was really interesting about that was when I was conceiving the script, I happened to be in a bookstore, and by the register, they were selling a book that was all but quotations from Joan of Arc. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I bought that, and every single thing that Joan of Arc says in my script are things Joan of Arc actually uh, said. So cool. How about it's, it? It's all actual research. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Max says that at the end that he looks in the diary of the of the guy and he's like, everything that he wrote was actually something that Joan of Arc said. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, with characters, I mean, the thing that strikes me is I'm a big fan of tabletop gaming, and this feels like I'm watching a tabletop game playing out because <laughs> you've got the characters, you've got the wacky antics, and I think there's good balance amongst the characters, which is what you want in a good tabletop game, and I think that they all bring something to the table. So I'm not sure, I mean, like I said, I gravitate towards Galen and uh, Max for different reasons, and I really enjoy them. Um, but uh, but but story wise, it's kind of funny because I'm listening to the top five that Van gave, and I actually feel like the first five you know, episodes, the ones in the bellhop uniforms, mm-hmm. are not as good as the eight that they did later that actually aired first. Wow. Okay. Um, I but the the ones I mean, not to sound like a brown noser, but ruling from the tomb uh, <laughs> is good. Definitely one of my favorites. Oh, okay. <laughs> and. Um, and again, it's because the same reason that I like a lot of Peter's stuff. You like bring out things, you know, continuity, but not just to reference it, but because it you know makes it more interesting. So we get the character, well, uh, the fighter pilot. What's his name? What's his name? Trace. You know, Trace, um, yeah, Trace. You know, we get Trace, and we get a lot of backstory for Trace, and but then we get this whole dynamic that like never even been hinted of between Trace and Max, both trying to win Darina, and Darina's just like wants no part of it. Yeah. She's just like, uh, I can look at like I'm gonna like. Uh, be like Darina's escort. I'm going to be Darina's escort. And she's like, uh, please, you know, I've been to places worse than this. I don't need an escort. So yeah. I love all of that kind of stuff. And I also really like um, the rules of the game, um, which was the Babylon 5 one where they go back to Babylon 5 because that's another great yeah. one for Max. And again, yeah. showing that Max had a lot more depth to him and the whole idea of, you know, because you, know, you would think, oh, Max, he's just a selfish guy. You'd think, oh, well, he left his wife. No, she left him. And this whole thing of he has this sort of love for her that he's always had. The fact that he loves the cat. This is the Mr. Mr. Kitty episode, yes. Yes, Mr. Kitty. I love it so much. So, yes, I love (laughs) the fact that he named it Mr. Kitty is even better. But, (laughs) yeah, I I like that one. I like like the Gideon Lockley relationship. Oh, crap. I just just looked up my notes on the needs of Earth because I'm like, why did I think that was the second best episode when I can't even remember what happened in it? It's because... This is why I said another sneaky good episode. This is the one that includes things like "Who's Your Little Pot Marah," and it's the one. It's the. It's the. You'll recognize this. It's the one where the alien had fled his civilization with yeah. the data crystals of all their art, mm-hmm. and the 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 um, the the authorities had tracked him down to the Excalibur, and they take him back, take him away. But of course, they 
the, those aliens had never heard of the idea of copying stuff, so, so Gideon had copied everything. But the great, the great moment that escaped me the first time I saw it that I thought really blew me away this time was that they, they hand him over to the authorities, and they're like, he's so polluted, we won't even be on the same shuttle. We're putting him on his own separate shuttle. And Matheson's like, oh, okay. And they fly away and explodes, right? They killed him. And it comes out kind of indirectly that Matheson knew that was going to happen and let it happen because it was the only way that his that the that the all like of the his civilization oh, okay. well yeah yeah really but that the civilization would have been saved. In other words, if they if they'd revealed that they knew it was going to happen, then then they'd have come back and it would have been a whole thing. So it was just really neat that Matheson's putting that moral quandary of do I save this one being or do I save his civilization's entire arts and you know everything I thought that was really good I'm blanking on the name but Daniel Day Kim's character he's the one oh is he is he one moment that's all he does right a lot of the time he's on the bridge going one moment captain yeah you know I'm sorry he's always on the phone yep yep yeah yeah exactly he is kind of but 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 with the whole telepath thing going on too which I thought was actually kind of interesting because we needed we needed some connection I've always pointed out Babylon 5, other than the shadows, the real conflict was with, was with Psychor. Mm-hmm. Now you think, well, President Clark. President Clark was a puppet of Psychor, which we learn increasingly over the course of Babylon 5. And so we see the end of President Clark, right? But we never see the end of Psychor. It happens off screen between the fifth season of Babylon 5 and Crusade. And so the one thing Matheson gives us with, the, with his telepath connection is at least a little information of what happened. That it lost a civil war within itself. And, um, he, and he, you know, he doesn't have to be in Psychor. He can be an officer mm-hmm. now and all that. And I thought Jones he was in the new regs. Are, are so totally screwed up that yeah. I still think it's an untenable system. Because it's <laughs> right. like, okay, you have these people coming to read the people to make mm. sure they haven't broken the regs, but then who who watches the people? Exactly. Who, and why, you know, it's going to be the same which, problem as Psycho. Which Gideon points again. out, right? right? Gideon plays that guy mm. for that exact reason, yeah. So I thought that was, I thought Madison was a great character, and I wanted to see more of him. So, okay. Um, why don't we go out to the audience now and see if you have any questions, or if you want to say favorite audience, uh, favorite episodes, favorite characters, something that you really want to throw out that, that we need that we need to talk about? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, my favorite character was Max. Um, I totally love the fact that this guy who's recently single has smuggled his porn collection. <laughs> his pop Marat porn collection. Ew. How lovely is my pop Marat? Yeah. And uh, who? Uh, who totally grounded that, I mean, it made it realistic. Because that was one of the things that, you know, the Star Trek and other things have is a lot of times you don't really feel like they're real people in a real society. So, um, yeah, he's a stressed workaholic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, so I really liked that. Uh, it gave also Loxley an opportunity to, I think it was Loxley, to, to make a comment about that, how realistic it was. Uh, but <laughs> um, the thing I didn't like totally was this whole sideboard thing because Everybody was expecting the next thing to come out of Stravinsky was the side. The telepath war, yeah. The telepath war. It didn't happen. Nope. We felt cheated. We said, you know, so, you know, and, and then that was a, that was a problem. I, we, I, at least everybody in my family thought it was a problem. And but we didn't. Well, okay. To my understanding, I mean, I, I could be wrong on this, but at the time, Joe was saving the telepath war for a, a potential yeah, feature film. Feature film, which is like the one thing he has the rights to, right? Yeah. 
but he never did. Yeah, he never. No, and, and the novels, though, the Keys novels basically carried out. Like, uh, they don't cover the actual war. They go all around it. You, yeah. the, the first two are ancient history, and the third one is like the final fate of Bester. They're really much more about Walter Canning's character than they are about the, the, the conflict. If I can detour for a second, though, I think my entire favorite scene in any of the, um, in any of the books is the final scene after Bester's funeral mm. that no one attended. And, you know, the cop that had been chased, that had been, like, chased, tracking down Bester forever and he, he you know he, after Bester died and you know was buried you know in a grave that nobody came to the services and in the rain he know, he waits around and he sees this one lone figure it's Michael Garibaldi coming in the rain to Bester's funeral and he leans down to the grave and he can't hear what Garibaldi's saying he can't see what he's doing but Garibaldi does something at the grave of Alfred Bester and gets up and walks away and the, and the inspector comes up after Garibaldi leaves and he goes to the grave and there's a wooden snake in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. That's great. Yeah, that was Greg Keyes that wrote the, yeah. the wrote the Psychor trilogy. Those are really good. All three of those. Peter Peter wrote the the Centauri trilogy. I did. And mm-hmm. Greg Keyes wrote the Telepath trilogy, and Gene Cavalos wrote the Technomage trilogy. Technomage trilogy, by the way, that one frustrated me so much because it's all it's, it's got a lot of Galen in it. If you don't know, you can get those books. It's got a lot of Galen in it. It's got a lot of Elric in it from from uh, the Geometry of Shadows. Um, but it never gives, gave me all the answers I wanted. It gives you a lot of backstory and stuff. It involves the Vorlons and the Shadows and everything. It's really, really good books, but I guess with those kind of books, it was, it was interesting because with yours, you were able to basically tell the whole story to a conclusion as if it yes. was like a made-for-TV movie yeah. finishing out the series. The other two, they kind of were able to play in the sandbox a little bit but didn't really get to do the meat of the story. Could you tell us a little bit about doing those those three books and, and what kind of leeway you had and everything. I had a, I had a tremendous amount of leeway. I mean, Joe gave me fundamental outlines of what the book should be, which I adhered to. <laughs> but I, I brought a lot of my own stuff in. I brought in Timov, uh, yeah. Londo's <laughs> wife. You know, I, can't, I, can't, I, mean, I didn't create her, but... Peter. Yeah, ex- yeah. Jane Carr was Timov. She was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Peter, <laughs> it is important out to me that Timov is vomit, spelled backwards. Are you aware of this? <laughs> yeah, I was aware of that. Peter's like, no, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> um, and but Joe gave me a tremendous amount of latitude. I mean, Joe, Joe has basically said that I am a centauri. Yeah. <laughs> he said that Peter David is a centauri. I mean, I think he likes the way that I, I imitate Londo, but um, he feels, for whatever reason, that I have a real affinity for Londo in particular and the centauri in general, which is why I was his choice to write the books. I, you know the, that particular series of books, and I just had so much fun doing those characters, uh, doing those books. The 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 thing that sucked was that the publisher wound up losing the rights to Babylon Five when they were publishing the last book in my trilogy. So they put out a minimal amount of copies. They did. That was very hard to find. That is very hard to find. For a while, it was like two hundred dollars on eBay or something. Now, uh, no, the for a while, generally around seventy. Oh wow! But even so, Still. seventy bucks for a, a standard size yep. paperback. I mean, I, oh, there aren't a lot right. of them out there. I'm so. not selling mine. I, mean, I didn't realize mine was that rare. No yeah. Kidding. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are, and also the science fiction book club did an edition of uh, all three books mm. and collected as one. 
but uh, I, I just had a lot of fun writing those characters, and Joe was generous enough to give me my head so that, you know, I, I came up with additional stuff that went into the books, and, you know, I already told you the, the What's Up Drock line, <laughs> but uh, there was lots of stuff that I came up with that Joe did not have any problem with me putting in there, as long as I told the story to the conclusion that he came up with. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that I was, I was treading on very sacred uh, B-5 ground when I was writing this because I was covering some really major aspects. It's interesting because in some cases, the, 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 like the, the, the showrunner or something would give you that ending information. But in this case, everybody had that information because it kept being foreshadowed in the series. <laughs> yes. So you were having to write into a into a, a line that led to something that we already knew was going to happen. Exactly. That's interesting. And yet I had to have it be surprising. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. I mean, which is the real challenge, that you're writing something that everybody knows how it ends. So it's, the cla- it's you know, one of the classic lines of writing is that it's not, you know, it's, it's about the journey, not about the destination. Mm-hmm. So I had to make the journey as interesting as possible because you all knew what the destination was going to be. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Questions? And, yes, ma'am, back here. Okay, um, let's talk Apocalypse Box. Oh, the Apocalypse uh, Box. Thank you. I love me some little strange Jack Kirby cosmic energy <laughs> box. <laughs> well, it lies. I guess from like midwinter and the books and stuff like that, it was the Apocalypse Box, Morlon Technology. Oh. That's a Joe question, and Joe's yeah. not here. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they it's, never it's obviously it's, ancient, like, and so yeah. yeah, I think it's probably something of the first ones. Okay. And it's yeah. obviously it's obviously one of the you know, it's another piece of setup for something to come that we yeah. will never know. I mean, well, it makes sense after the Technobase trilogy because it says do, uh, do not trust, do not trust who Galen. And if it was Morlon technology, they talk about the tech for all the Technobages being shadow. Shadow, yes. So that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, it was the thing that was so cool about the apocalypse box is it was just it it basically was a giant it was a, it was a plot device in the closet. And Gideon Gideon had a plot device literally in his closet that he could pull out when he needed a plot well, device. What I want to know is he wanted it in a bed. That guy was just carting it around and he just had it under the table and yeah. the hooker came or whatever. Well, the way that the guy reacted, I feel it seems like he felt like it was a release and Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free and he gets hit by a bus. So, or there must be a cost in some way to using this thing. That's what I felt like we were going to get some sort of like an idea of, you know, what what does this thing do to somebody? Like you know? the Green Bear. And yeah, and Joe said in the Bible, in the Crusade Bible, which I have in my book bag over here, he said that if Galen knew the Apocalypse box was on board the ship, he would run and grab it and chuck it out the airlock immediately. So the Technomages definitely, as you say, do not like it and didn't want it around. And Galen, there was one point where, um, I think it was one of those, it was Racing the Night or the, or the, or the war, Memory of War, where Galen, at the very end of the episode, Galen says, so um, none of this was in your memory banks or in your computers or anything. How did you know about this planet, Matthew? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I just heard about it. You know, and he goes back to the, to the closet and there he's like, you, you lied to me. So yeah, it was always kind of giving him, but it lies. I like that. That's a that's a great idea. It's such it's such a Jack Kirby, you know, kind of a little tchotchke type thing, you know. That's true. Well, the thing is, it must tell the truth most of the time, otherwise you wouldn't believe you would it. You would never and believe it. Just throws a lie in. Yeah, there once your throws a curveball. 
Yeah. Did you ever have any impressions of that thing? You didn't have to even use it, did you? I never used it. Yeah. Never did you Did you want to, or did you even know about it at the time when you were writing it, or? I don't remember it at all. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She said the apocalypse box. I'm going. Was that in front of people? It, what? it was like a little lunchbox-looking thing that glowed, and it told Gideon stuff he should do or not do, or planets to go to, but. He wanted Which a, episode was it? Oh, it was it like the last one. I thought it was two or three. Last it was one. only in two or three, but yeah. it, it would whisper stuff to him, and it would lie occasionally. And he won it Perfect. in a bar game, a bar bet or something. Bar bet, like yeah. Mm-hmm. It can only be passed on that way. Yes, Tom. Speaking of Shadow Tech, it wasn't actually aired, but at one point when I was on, I know where you're going. JMS released some scripts. Yes. And this very give me goosebumps. Very book. cool scene where it turned out EarthGov was basically plugging human pilots into oh yes set of technology to make those human ship analogs and it sounded like it was going to be very cool into the line the, the the season finale for season one into the line galen and gideon infiltrate an earth base out in the middle of nowhere where there shouldn't be any earth base and they're told get out of here you're not want you're welcome and gideon's like well I, i'm coming back so galen sneaks gideon in and Gideon, um, they and they see humans walking around covered in shadow tech. And um, Gideon's like, "Oh, I'm telling somebody that we we can't let this stand." And so they go back to like Mars, right, or something, to another one of the conferences, like you wrote. And Gideon is they're going in there to reveal that Earth has been doing this shadow crap. Uh, which shouldn't be a surprise because Clark was doing that. Right. But um, but they go in there to reveal it, and somebody shoots Gideon. A sniper shoots him, and we don't know at the end of season one if he's going to live or not. He could he could be dead. He could be alive. Uh, there was some hint that maybe Galen would save him using Technomage technology. Uh, maybe Gideon himself becomes a Technomage. There was always this hint that Durina was going to become a Technomage, or at least study with him. She wanted to be his apprentice. And there was always this, there was supposed to be this thing that she got a sword, a magic sword from somewhere, which kind of fit in the Excalibur motif, you know? So Darina would have had a sword and been training. So everybody's starting to turn into a Technomage by season two, which is maybe a little overdoing it, but. My, my assumption yeah. was always that the crusade of the title is the crusade to purge Shadow Tech. Yeah, much more than the than the, the Drock Plague. Mm-hmm. The Drock Plague is one type of Shadow Tech. Right. But Earth is dabbling in a lot of shadow tech. So, yeah, there are a handful of episodes, and I made a note of the name of them. There's To the Ends of the Earth is the one where they track down the ship that destroyed Gideon's previous ship. Remember, he the reason that Gideon knew Galen was that Gideon was outside the Cerberus, big, one of the big Omega destroyers, when a, sh- a shadow tech ship came in and blew it up. And he was the only survivor, and he was floating alone, and Galen found him. And that's how they got together. Um, and then they track it down, and that's how they find the Earth base, more or less. There's War Story, The Walls of Hell, and Untitled Darina Trilogy Part 3, <laughs> which would have been 119, 120, 121, and then 122 was end of the line where Gideon literally gets shot and possibly killed. So that's what we know was going to happen in Season 1. There was also a Bester episode mm-hmm. that was where they go and visit him, and there's another episode, uh, which I think was called Value Judgments. And there was another episode that Peter Woodward wrote called something like Big Bugs Have Little Bugs or something like that. Does that ring a bell? Mm-hmm. Great Big Bugs Have Lesser Bugs. Something like that. That Peter, Peter Woodward wrote it and then stuck it away in a drawer and found it like two years ago. And it ended up in the second volume of this, I believe. Well, he's never put out a no, second volume. No, there's a second volume and there's some more scripts in it. 
It's out. You no, there, there's other voices, but I don't think they they never did a volume okay. two of this. Okay. There's another book that has more crusade stuff in it. Yeah, and that's it's the other voices. It just came out about six months ago, and it's in there. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> I get their emails. <laughs> so, uh, any other episodes, characters, questions, anything you want to crusade about for our remaining well, one thing two minutes? I'll pitch, uh, yeah. I mean, not not from this, but you know, uh, one of the reasons. Joe mentions in his new autobiography they never really did the second follow-up to this one. Is he's a lot of it he didn't really learn until recently. Crusade not only was murdered by TNT, it was actively murdered by TNT because a lot of the notes and stuff they were they were doing, they were actively trying to get out of the contract. Uh, they didn't want you know they didn't like the way the series is going, but they were locked into producing the episode, so they were pushing him as hard as they could to make, basically make it look like he was the one being unreasonable. And, you know, he's found out a lot of this recently by people who worked for TNT who came to him at later. And uh, his autobiography is a really fantastic book. If you've not picked it up, I would really recommend it. But there's a lot of the stories that he told in these things that he saved for that eventually. But TNT was actively pushing him as hard as they could to, to force him to you know, back, you know, force them into a place where they could back out of the contract legally, you know. Um, it, it was just, it was just a mess. I have a couple of hot takes <clears throat> I want to get out there, all right. Number one is, I'll do the, I'll do the negative one first and then the positive one. The Long Road, the episode with Peter's father, mm-hmm. the, the good thing about that episode had Peter's father. Everything else about that episode I thought was terrible. I, I thought it was slow, boring, and predictable. Basically, every episode to me where they go down to some planet and deal with, like, colonists and farmers and stuff, mm. it turns into Stargate SG-1, and I'm just like, oh. It turns into a bad version of Stargate well, SG-1, I mean, okay? Well, but see, for me, being a tabletop gamer, that's one of the episodes that I like because it's just like when the players go to the town, it's like, roll your bluff, you know? And it's like Gideon's trying to pass yeah, himself off, and, and I'm just another one of the guys, and Galen's got the big thumbs But five minutes of that is okay an hour. I, Sometimes I wonder if some of those things are like you know problems of the budget because you know I mean and and this flies battle on five too they did not always get the best supporting actors that they could have that's true <laughs> you know and in, especially in like that episode that all the colonists were just awful Very boring yeah okay my other hot take is that and this is a positive one but I think it's positive because people usually have a negative attitude I think Warzone is actually not a bad episode Warzone is the one that basically JMS was forced to to write and produce halfway through filming the series to be the new pilot. Oh, okay. And it's the one, but but here's the thing I think is so cool about it. While it oh, does have the, it, racing the night, it, the, it, oh, racing the night is the original pilot. Zone, this okay, is the one they replaced one. it with. Yeah. Gotcha. So we don't get racing the night till like episode nine now. Right. Yeah. So Warzone, the thing I like about it is he wanted to just start the, and this is this is a valid you know it's a valid idea. He wanted to just start the show in Media Res, as they say, already everybody they're out there well, doing we've stuff. We've already seen the drop play get a call to yeah, arms. So we in called arms, right? But TNT's like, no, we need an episode where you establish all this. And I thought that was actually fairly useful and while you do get the fist fight which is stupid the mutiny um, where Gideon beats up a crewman and says you know you want to be the captain you got to beat me up or something and that's stupid but the rest of that episode though I thought was really good because it because it it's like the most drock we get in the entire series they barely come back again the entire series at least of what we've got so if you want to see the Excalibur fighting the Drock. Just give me one episode with a space battle, right? If you want to see the Excalibur fighting the Drock, if you want to see the Drock commanders and the Drock foot soldiers and all that, this is pretty much the only episode 
that you actually, I, I was surprised. I went back and reevaluated Warzone after finishing all 13 saying, well, dang, that was the only one we got where we got the drug. So I think it's another sneaky good one that has a bad reputation because of why it exists. But he, I think JMS did a better job with it than he's given credit for with, with what he had to work with. I don't with. know. I mean, in my rewatch, I was watching that one and starting to reconsider why if I, if I wanted to watch all of them. I, I really did not like that one. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, on my take on it was, you know, when you establish the drop okay. is just oh, sorry, one level below the shadows, I wanted them to put in a better performance. And they're, like, owned by, like, you know, like three or four people, like, come in with guns blazing, and it's yeah. just like, oh, drop defeated. You know, I, I, I felt like they should be a bigger threat. Well, but you know what, though? In, in Legend of the Rangers, we get the hand, which is supposed to be even bigger than the shadows. And I'm like, give me a break. Nobody's bigger than shadows. I'm out. Check right. out. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I thought they were about right. Yes, sir. A lot more problems. Um, quick question. I just I want to know your thoughts on uh, all of your thoughts on the the ship itself, because I felt like the ship was different. And it was more like a sub in space. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. We, we're used to spaceships in space. They deliberately tried to make it the interiors different. And then when they got when they got they actually did get more money from TNT midway through to try to make the show better, which was in, before they said screw it. And so, but here's the thing I thought was weird about that. They TNT gave them more money and they changed the way the the bridge looked. They made it. Different colors or something, mm-hmm. but the other thing they spent a lot of the money on was a basketball court. Right. No, that Wait. was all CG. I mean, the, the basketball court CG. But it was just an odd. I mean, if you're wanting to make the inside of the ship look better, that seemed like an odd choice to me. I understand what he was saying is these they're out there for you know long periods of time in space. They, they added need, a cafeteria. There was yeah, they added they some added, weird stuff yeah. that is like yeah, okay maybe, but but what did y'all Peter thoughts about the Excalibur ship the the design and everything. I thought it was fine. I mean, you know, there are so many different styles of ships in the real world. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you can't have different styles of ships when you're out in space. Mm-hmm. They don't all have to look the same. I mean, the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, you know, lay the groundwork for it, but then you had ships like the Nostromo from Alien that was more like a, you know, a, it was supposed to be down, you know, it was supposed to be the opposite of the Enterprise. Mm. The Enterprise was incredibly spiffy and clean, and the Nostromo looked like people lived there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I have to admit, I kind of like the realistic version. I like, I like submarine sets. I love Hunt for Red October. I love the sets mm. there. Ice Station Zebra, man, one of my yeah. favorites. Any, anything that looks like Hunt for Red October, I'm fine with. Yeah, which they did a lot of, you know, with Crusadium because I loved how they had, you know, multiple. You know, you could have depth in the set. You know, the the set actually had layers in different rooms. You know, you do walk and talks. Um, you know, I mean, and you know, the Excalibur is supposed to be. I mean, what, it was a combination of Minbari and human tech and, and Vorlon and, and a little bit of Vorlon, but you know, with the big gun king. Part, you know, part of me wonders, you know, it's just how realistic or reasonable some of the design things is and I, I still think the whole oh we're powered down because we shot off we shot our we shot our watt yeah you know kind of thing it was kind of gotta uh, wait annoying. for a minute <laughs> that's also yeah. there's a question over here man um, I, have, I kind of have a couple comments and I have a question so uh, y'all were talking before about how like uh, the tele- uh, the, the dissolution of Cyborg that the telepaths had uh, been able to join um the military. The military. I, I don't know if I agree with what y'all said that that seemed exactly the same. It, yes, it seemed 
wasn't the best, but I, I also thought it was almost like an at least an, an evolution in some form. I agree. No, I'm yeah. saying that it was. I'm saying that it was going to. The, the, because they never gave us a good explanation for what the new regs actually are or how they work. The idea, though, that there would be telepaths who could abuse their power is still there, and the system didn't seem like... It seemed like the same kind of corruption. Yeah, you're replacing one problem with another, right, exactly. and, and I thought that was a very human thing. that would. Ha I would totally see a bureaucracy saying, oh, this this, this system didn't work, fine, we'll put this, a different one, and it still doesn't work. So you had another... No, he he owns the feature film rights to Babylon Five. Okay. Um, he can he can produce a feature film. He cannot produce a t you know anything else. Uh, it, well, he he held right, on to that right. Yeah, yeah he rights negotiate. It, it's it's weird. Um, you know, and he would probably still need Warner Brothers' help to do it. I mean, he was looking at you know. I mean, well, yeah, and it almost happened. I mean, you know, but you know, uh, they're almost it. They were like within what two three months of going into production, Seemed like, like five six years ago. Um, but, you know, yeah, I hate to say it, but, you know, um, you know, I, you know, it, you know, I'm, you know, B5 is pretty much over. I mean, you know, I mean, there may be a reboot at some point, but I still, I don't want to see something if Joe doesn't do it. I don't want, I don't want to see it without Rick. I don't want to see it without Andreas, you know? No. Sorry. <laughs> you can't do it without him, to me, you know, so. It's a different thing, almost. Yeah. Another, yes, right over here. Yeah, one of Oh yeah, JMS. It seemed to me was very obsessed with X Files for a, for a hot minute there, yeah. and so not only was there a lot of that flavor with the techno mages and the opening of the show, but he did that episode Visitors from Down the Street, which actually I think was filmed about halfway through. It's only like it's, I think it's like one oh eight or one oh nine or something, and um, or even earlier than that. And if you guys want to talk about, it's the one where they actually visit a planet where. The X Files is the planet. The whole planet is is the the two characters that come on board the Excalibur take a rocket up to Excalibur to prove that aliens exist, that they're out there, you know. And it's basically Mulder and Scully. They even the aliens have tentacles, but they look exactly like David Duchovny. Well, and they're wearing black and white suits and suits, <laughs> and they have and it's very noir, and they have flashlights and everything. Yeah. And then there's a at the very end at the oh at the very end just to slap us in the face one good time. The alien that comes from the government to get him back, he starts smoking a cigarette, and he goes, "The truth is out of fashion." And I'm like, "Come on, man!" Literal stick, yeah, right over the head. But so, I like yeah. I like Gideon's resolution to that one. Is I'm just gonna flood him with like the Galactic Encyclopedia. Yeah, so that no one's gonna blame Earth for this. They're like, "But Captain, you, you can't do that." He's like. Screw it. <laughs> and, and that's Gideon, right? He yeah. does what he what he wants. So let's see we got time for maybe one more. Think fast. Yes. I really thought it should have been darker than it was. I really they're they're trying to save their entire planet. Yeah. They should be willing to do anything it took. I mean I do well, realize they had that, that earlier on some of the things that they did that were good paid dividends later on, but it just seems to me that things were so dire, people were dying by the day that they should have been a lot more willing to do cross those ethical lines. 
than they were willing to. That was the one thing that I felt like they dropped the ball on because they kept saying like everybody on earth is going to be dead in five years, but they always made it seem like everybody's going to be fine until five years and then they're, they're all going to drop like that. Yeah, yeah. And they should have been like certain people, right, certain people would be dropping all along, you know, and they they did say that in one episode finally, but they the did, yes. they never, they never they made it, they made it sound like everybody's yeah. going to be perfectly fine for five years and then they're going right. to drop. That was the way I understood it. That was the way, exactly. Right, but there's one episode where they mentioned, I think it might be the one with Stephen Franklin, but yeah, the, last the fact that the, like, the virus is mutating and like killing people through different methods. So like a group of like eighty yeah. people would all die. From I remember that strain of something, and you know. And, and I was just going to say to your comments as well. In a post Battlestar Galactica two thousand four world, it would have been different, right? Mm-hmm. This show was in the, the main thing that influenced Crusade, in my opinion, was X Files in a strange way. And I think if it had been done ten years later, it would have been more like Stargate Universe, kind of in a way. You know, which I like, by the way. Okay. Um, I think we're out of time. Sorry, Alan. You lose again. Two days in a row. Come on. All right. Well, thank you all for coming so much. And uh, maybe someday, right? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Peter. That was awesome. All White Rocket Entertainment programs are entirely supported by you, our listeners, via Patreon.com. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can join the ranks and know that you are contributing to putting all of our shows on the air. Just go to www.patreon.com and search for Plexico or White Rocket, or you can just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, and you'll find the button there to uh, join the patrons, as well as finding links and players for all of our various podcasts on this great network. Here are our current patrons as of September. Brendan O'Dwyer, we're still thanking him for that awesome one-time donation. Matthew Flowers, Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burleson, and Carl Von Drunker. Trevor Johnson, Phil Amthor, Winston Body, Willie Carden, Susan Trawick, Ben Spooner, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, Richard Stevens, Trading Alchemist, Ross, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, David Hegler, Robert Mendenhall, Johnny Caldwell, Reynolds Wolf, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, Will Summerford, John McCune, and Tom Anderson. There's David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrecht, William Glenn Matthews, Joel Beckham, Spanky, Theodore Gary, Shannon Butson, Taylor Sanford, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Chilton, Tony Perry, Alex Nguyen, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, and Dave Powell. Auburn Elvis joins the ranks this week with Robert Drain, Royce Alvarez, Brandon Smith, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Jeremy Minton, Lane Middleton, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Chris Cummo, Darren Pyle, Chris Wardam Wade, Jason Albrick, Randall Walker, Ben, T- ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, who I got to see again at DragonCon, and they're just the nicest people. Ruth and Darren, thank you so much. Patrick Williams, who I missed at DragonCon, dang it. Usually see him there. Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Russell Milling, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Brent Rumble, J.W. Rice, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, and our one-time donors or occasional donors, including the awesome Surfer Chickify and our anonymous donors. So again, just visit www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or go to patreon.com and search for Plexico or White Rocket and become a patron, and we thank you all so much. The Rocket's going to get on out of here for another episode, but we'll be back very soon with another great 2019 Dragon Con panel. 
This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.